You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Drew here with Josh, but we have our old friend Ivan visiting us again, Connor. We're getting Connor a week off. Uh, he's been a busy, busy man editing our podcast, and I think watching Toronto FC has given him enough stress as is. So Connor's getting the week off, but Ivan is joining us, uh, our local San Jose Earthquake supporter. Ivan, how, how are you? How is... How is MLS's back for you so far? If you asked me during the San Jose-Vancouver game, it would be a less positive answer than it is now, having experienced that roller coaster and then the subsequent result in that group. I'm pleasantly surprised, and I would be in a good mood to record with you guys either way, but I'm in an even better mood now. Awesome. Glad to hear. And Josh, uh, I know Atlanta isn't... It's fun to watch in San Jose right now, but how was the second little round of matches for you this week? It was good. You know, again, it's fun being able to watch the games. We definitely got some some really entertaining matches throughout the last week since we recorded, so uh, that part of it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, Josh, you've had... You might have the biggest reason to celebrate because your Portland Thorns, the team that you picked for the Challenge Cup, they pulled off... The upset of the Challenge Cup going into our NWSL coverage, they I don't know how they did it, but Josh, the Portland Thorns defeated the North Carolina Courage one to nothing in the knockout round. The Thorns' first win of the competition and the Courage's first loss of the competition happens to come at the knockout round when everything matters. Uh, Josh, did you get to watch that game at all? I know everything's still weird with CBS All Access, but did you get to catch any of it? Well, first, I gotta say, I never once, not once, doubted my thorns. It, it, I, I knew, I knew they were gonna pull off the upset. No, not at all. It was definitely surprising, even for myself, the as a lifelong thorns fan. But um, yeah, no, I, I didn't get to watch the game. Unfortunately, I saw the highlights. I made a point to go back and watch the outstanding uh, goalkeeper performance in that game. The I gotta say, it was really funny for me to see the thorns goalkeeping coach suit up for that game because they had their their injuries that they were dealing with so i thought that was crazy in and of itself and then of course uh backup goalkeeper it's bella bixby i'm blanking yeah she was the backup keeper at time and she got hurt which forced the even more backup keeper to play gotcha so you know that was that of itself was just crazy all around and of course portland were able to uh to, to get the goal that ended up being the win now that was the only goal in all four of the games, unfortunately. And we'll get to those other games in a second. But, yeah, it was. I didn't get to see it. I got to see the highlights, though. Fantastic goalkeeping performance. And uh, go Thorns. Yeah, they pulled off the upset. Um, yeah, like Josh said, their starting goalkeeper, usual starting goalkeeper, A.D. French, uh, announced that she was missing the tournament due to injury. And then that forced Bella Bixby to start the games, and she's been playing outstanding. But she announced a couple days ago that she tore her ACL, so she would be missing the rest of the tournament. So that forced uh, third-string keeper Britt Eckerstrom to come into the game as a starting goalkeeper. And like Josh said, goalkeeping coach Nadine Andrew, who had retired previously, she's now their goalkeeping coach. She's won like two World Cups with Germany in 03 and 07. 
But as a goalkeeping coach, she had to come in and suit up as the second string. Yeah, Eckerstrom came in, I think, eight saves, and they were all phenomenal saves to pull that upset against the Courage. And now they are in the semifinal playing the Houston Dash, who beat the Utah Royals after penalty kicks, after drawing nothing to nothing. And that was one of the other three quarterfinals that ended nil-nil. Um, Sky Blue beat the Washington Spirit, even though our heart goes out to Arby Blitzo, best friend of the podcast. She played incredible. Uh, go back and listen to that interview. Every time we mention the Spirit, we have to mention Aubrey in that interview. So Sky Blue will play uh, Chicago Red Stars, and uh, Houston Dash will play the Portland Thorns in those semifinals set to happen uh, Wednesday, the 22nd. Uh, Thorns and Dash at 12.30, and Sky Blue and Red Stars at 10, uh, 10 p.m. I also want to point out, we talked about it last week, but I had Chicago upsetting. You did, yes. Whoever they were going to play. So I, I feel very proud to have gotten that pick right. I figured they would they would be able to handle it. Granted, at the time of us recording, it was going to be Chicago playing Washington, I think. So that part of it didn't end up being true. But Chicago did upset who they played, which in this case was Oil Rain. So I felt very proud to have gotten that pick. I'll go ahead and say now, based on how these first four knockout games went, I'm going to predict a Portland Thorns-Chicago Red Stars final. I picked Thorns for as the favorite for the tournament, and I picked Chicago getting upset in this knockout round, so I might as well go with both of them. So that's going to be my pick for the final. I am not – I will I – don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to make a pick because this is just all nonsense, which makes it as good as it is. The only thing I will say for sure, I think – the winner of the Thorns Dash semifinal is going to win the whole thing. Um, I think I'm going to join on your Chicago pick. I think they're going to beat Sky Blue, but I'm going to I'm going to say the Dash. I'm saying a Dash Chicago final. I think the Dash are going to win it. Um, yeah. So NWL Challenge Cup has been pretty fun. Uh, they've done a really good job of keeping that. But getting into MLS, uh, before we get into the games, we had a little bit of news as far as expansion goes. Um, I think the league announced. Friday, I don't know the exact day, but they announced that expansion would be delayed for every team but Austin FC. Austin FC will still be um, coming into the league in 2021. Charlotte will be coming in 2022. St. Louis and Sacramento in 2023. And guys, we'll start with you, Ivan. Were you surprised by this decision? And do you think this is a right decision delaying expansion by a year? I was not surprised, and I believe it was the right decision Right now, we're at that point in this pandemic situation where we're still not ready to operate as if everything is fine. The more caution we take in each of these steps, whether it be starting a season, starting playoffs, uh, expanding to new teams, the better. Obviously, life must go on and you can't just inevitably postpone the expansion of teams that they worked hard to get those bids or they, you know, they either had the money or they, whatever led to that decision, they got the bids. Um, and I think we'll see if this is enough time for each of these teams and whether this helps or hurts some of them. If Austin maybe gets thrown into a difficult situation in the 2021 season because they're the first team back or because they are the first team back, they get 
the pick of the litter when it comes to free agents or marquee signings, and we'll see what happens. Um, it's exciting for Austin, of course. They are the largest U.S. city uh, without a uh, team in the five sports leagues that we follow, NBA, NHL, MLB, NFL, and MLS, and that will change once they get into action in 2021. Uh, it will suck waiting a couple more years for Sacramento because when I went to college at UC Davis, I went to some of the Sacramento Republic games when they were in the USL and they still are, including a US Open Cup game where it was an electric atmosphere. They ended up beating Real Salt Lake 3-1, to and it was a fun time. I really think that Sacramento is a great city to have an MLS team and I'm glad that that's going to happen although it'll take a little bit longer yeah I know the wait I think Atlanta United announced they were getting a team like 2015 Mm -hmm. and that wait from 2015 to 2017 was absolutely brutal so that's thanks for them but eventually a team will come Uh, but yeah as far as Charlotte goes uh, we talked a little bit about them announcing names and I think they crossed off a couple more names they crossed off all Carolinas and Charlotte Monarchs which when we talked about it last week, I think we're not, not too disappointed about that, but they are going to reveal their name and crest uh, July 22nd, so in a couple of days, by the time we're recording this, on the 20th. Um, in Sacramento, uh, still getting ready to construct their stadium. They're going to start it in the fall. But Josh, for you, did you think, was this announcement a surprise for you that they were postponing expansion? Yeah, for me, it was a surprise, but only because we didn't see anything come out before then. You know, usually, whether it's someone from The Athletic or, you know, there's a, there's a lot of media that usually have their ear to the ground and can get news out before it's official. So for us to not see anything from the media was surprising, and that sort of caught me off guard. That being said, I do think it's the right move. I will be a little annoyed for the next couple of years as things are super unbalanced, with Austin coming into the league next year, you've got 27 teams and it's uneven, and then you'll be even with Charlotte, and, and it'll get sorted out by then. But it looked like you know construction was the biggest factor in delaying this thing. At the end of the day, it's not really so much the, the pandemic and all that. Obviously, that plays a huge factor, but it seemed like construction was the biggest. And you know Austin was able to keep working on their stadium during the pandemic in Texas, so that has helped them stay on track. In that regard, I'm surprised that Charlotte had to be pushed back because they've played tons of soccer games at Bank of America Stadium already. They usually have the International Champions Cup come through, all those friendlies in the summer. And I know that they're making renovations to the stadium for it to be more soccer friendly, but I'm curious to see how that's going to work with the NFL coming back in the fall, if that happens, uh, and the Carolina Panthers playing there. So I don't know what that's going to look like for those Panthers games and whatever construction and if that's going to have an effect on that or if the Panthers games are going to slow down construction even more. So I'm personally, I'm curious to see how all those things get affected. But at the end of the day, not really super surprising, of course. I think it's the smart thing to do. Take They, they need to take their time and, and be ready for when they do finally have their games going. And as for the Charlotte name that's coming in a couple of days, Thank God they got rid of the All-Carolina FC. Horrible name. I'm hoping they cross off Charlotte Gliders next. I think gone are the days of MLS teams naming themselves after something relevant to their city. They've gone full European at this point. So 
my money's still on Charlottetown. That's still one of the teams left. So I think it's going to end up being that one. I just hope, one, it's not the Gliders, and I hope it's not Charlotte FC. We've gotten plenty of other plain names in the league, and I think Charlottetown would be at least a little unique. And like we discussed last week, there is a little bit of history behind it. So I'm hoping that's uh, what the the name will end up being in a couple days. Yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, Monarchs was crossed off so early because Charlotte is nicknamed the Queen City. So I figured even if, obviously, they didn't go with that name, that would be a great red herring to be like maybe the last cut or something. Yeah, they only have a couple days to cross off. I haven't. I don't know what like how many more names are left. They only have a couple days to cross off a lot more. But yeah, Charlotte getting ready to announce a pretty big step in their expansion with crest and name. Um, as expansion kind of goes through this pretty crazy time and all of this, but nonetheless, MLS will be expanding next year um, and then for the years to come. But we do need to mention um, our favorite American player, Christian Pulisic, uh, is going is competing for his first piece of silverware with Chelsea, uh, play the FA Cup final against Arsenal on August 1st. So the American side of us wants to see him do well. So that's exciting to see him silverware. Uh, but getting into MLS, uh, we have, we're recording this Monday afternoon. So we have Philadelphia Union in Orlando City tonight and then Toronto and New England in the morning. So while we're recording this, those games have not happened and we're still waiting to see the results on that. But speaking of Orlando City and Philadelphia, uh, they are two of the six teams that have already clinched a spot in the knockout round. You have Orlando City, Columbus Crew, Philadelphia Union, Portland Timbers, San Jose, and Seattle. It already clinched their spots in the knockout round. Josh, we'll start with you. Are you surprised by any of these six teams already clinching a spot in the knockout round? For the most part, no. There's only two teams that sort of jump out at me as as being a surprise, and that would be Orlando and San Jose, but only because of, one, Orlando doesn't have a history of doing well, So, and even you and I, Drew, we had them advancing into the round of 16, but I'm still a little surprised that they were, I think they ended up, what, being the first team to advance, so that part of it was surprising. And then as for San Jose, they finally completed all three of their games, and after seeing all three games, I can comfortably say that it's not surprising. They, they put on overall some decent performances. That being said, their nil-nil draw against Seattle, I think, was a little disappointing just because they didn't quite dominate that game the way they did their next two games. And then, of course, they had tons of mistakes in the Vancouver game that almost came back to bite them. Now, at the end of the day, they got seven points, and that's pretty good. They haven't even lost a game yet in this tournament, so... They definitely deserve to be one of the teams that advance. But for me, those are the two teams so far that have surprised me of the six that have advanced. And uh, for me, I think we knew going into this tournament that four of these teams were pretty good. And with 16 out of the field of 24 teams moving on to the knockout stage, it would have been very shocking for crew, union, Timbers or the Sounders to be knocked out in the first round. Maybe not so much Portland Timbers because we didn't know what to expect with that group with Houston Dynamo and the LA teams. And we'll get to that in more detail later on. San Jose, I did predict them to get out of their group, but by the slimmest of margins. And of course, this was back when uh, FC Dallas were in their group, which with all due respect to Chicago Fire, FC Dallas would have been a tougher opponent. But I'm pleasantly surprised by San Jose. And like uh, 
Josh said, I am very uh, happy with how how they did it. Their performance is backed up with their um, points. I mean, their performance is back. Yeah, so it, it spoke for themselves. And then Orlando, it was a little surprising as well. This is a team that has not been to an MLS playoffs yet in their five seasons of existence so far. So for them to get one over New York City FC and clinch qualification already was a surprise. Yeah, I think I'm on the same boat because, like Josh said, we both picked Orlando City to advance, but that was when Group A still had that. I think it was six total teams, and like I think three of those teams would advance. And with the new group stage, I didn't think they would advance. So they've been the biggest surprise to me, seeing how good they are. Um, San Jose and Seattle, I think I picked both those teams to advance out of their group, but I picked it flip. Like I thought Seattle would be the team to clinch it earlier than San Jose, but... Yeah, Columbus, Philadelphia, and Portland, I think, specifically Columbus, and we'll get more into, are as good as advertised and some even better than we thought they were going to be. But yeah, those six teams um, have officially clinched spots in the knockout round, and we have one team, kind of the host, in the same state as the tournament, Miami, the only team that have been officially eliminated, NYCFC, kind of shockingly on the verge of being eliminated. Uh, For Miami, Josh, this obviously expansion year, and I think LAFC in Atlanta has kind of spoiled the party for expansion teams and expecting them to be as bad as they are. Um, what have you thought about Miami's performances going from those first two games of the season up until their three games in this tournament? Yeah, so there have been very mixed reactions, I think, to Miami's first five games now. And, of course, all of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt because – at the end of the day, I don't think you can really extract much from these first five games for any of the teams just because the first season started, stopped, and now you're in this tournament setting and there's just so many extra factors going into it. But besides all that, I think that a lot of people have put these high expectations on Miami and deservedly so. They themselves have said they want to compete this year. They are the ones that have gone out and gotten these DP players, these young kids. They're the ones that have said, we're going to get more designated players this summer. They're the ones that have said they want to compete. They've got a great coach in Diego Alonso. They've got Rodolfo Pizarro and some some young talent around him. So I think from that standpoint, it's a pretty disappointing start. Being winless in the first five games is crushing for their fans, for the players, for the staff, for everyone involved in the organization. That being said, if you really go back and actually watch all five games, they're not that bad. All of their games have been a loss by one goal. That's that's pretty good. And if I'm not mistaken, they haven't conceded more than two goals in a single game so far. That is also not not that bad. It could be way worse. They could be Cincinnati. They could be giving up more than that in a single game. So at the end of the day, I think they've just kind of run into some bad luck. They're really, really, really close to breaking through and getting a result. They just need to be careful. I think we're starting to see some frustration, right? They got a red card this morning. Andres Reyes got red card in their last group game before that. Roman Torres also got a red card back in the second game of the season. And granted, that was for a handball, but it feels like it's just one thing after another for Miami. And so they have to be careful that things don't get worse from here on out. And who knows if they'll even have a chance to correct course. We don't even know if there's going to be a season after this tournament. So I, I feel bad for Miami's fans, especially with the expectations that they sort of placed on their new club and especially with, like you said, Drew, LAFC and Atlanta. But 
I, I don't think they should, you know, hold their head down. You know, they shouldn't be too disappointed in the team because I think they're really close to being special. Yeah, it is tough when you're an expansion franchise, and I will continue to say this as MLS continues to add new teams left and right, that what Atlanta United has accomplished, and especially in their first season, was an exception to the rule. And I'll put LAFC in there as well. Those are the two premier like expansion teams that were well-run, they had things go their way, and they did a lot of things right for things to go their way on their own merit. But it's not easy. It, more often than not, expansion teams take some time to adjust to life in any league, but in, that includes MLS. However, winless in five games for, in a regular season, that's one-seventh of your regular season. That's over a month of no wins. That's a tough for, to sell to a fan base that you're trying to grow that they should continue to invest their time and money into supporting your team. But, of course, there's a lot of circumstances with the pandemic that hopefully Inter-Miami fans will be a little bit more patient and whenever their next opportunity will be, whether it will be this year or 2021, hopefully, at the latest, we'll see if they can turn a corner. Yeah, I think we'd like to mention that this is the first time in expansion team history that a team has lost their first five games. But like you guys both said, this is pretty outstanding and um, in normal expansion circumstances that they're in playing those first two games and then getting this long break. But yeah, like Josh said, they've only every game they've lost by one goal. They're not getting blown out. Um, they're losing. I think they've only let up yet yeah, like two goals a couple times and they earned red cards in three of those five games. So it's kind of a sign that I think when you say that they've lost their first five games for the first time in expansion team history, you think of a team a lot worse than Miami actually is. Um, They have players on the way with Leandro Gonzalez-Perez and others that still haven't appeared for the team or still haven't kind of meshed together as an expansion side, and no doubt this pandemic kind of affected um, coming together as a team. So they've been officially eliminated. NYCFC on the verge of being eliminated. I think they had to win this morning against Miami just to stay on there. And this is a team that ended first in the East. Ivan, are you surprised at how bad NYCFC has done so far? Yes, I am. I thought that when the draw was made of the six teams that are originally in this group, Philadelphia Union and New York City looked like a tier above the field. And then with this new configuration... It, I was starting to eulogize both Florida teams because it looked like they would, Union and NYC would get at least six, four to six points, probably six points against them. But Orlando got the win in that matchup, which could be the decisive matchup in this group in terms of overall progression rather than seeding. And in a World Cup setting, which is the most similar thing we have to compare this to. Uh, when you're in a competition with just three games and you're in a group of four teams, one result can make or break you. And unfortunately, that's what New York City are finding out the hard way. Josh, what about you? I think we both picked NYCFC to advance to the knockout round. Um, are you surprised at how – they haven't been officially eliminated yet, but are you surprised at how – poor they've played so far this tournament absolutely i mean 
you and I, we had Orlando, Philadelphia, NYC going through, and obviously we got two of those picks right, which is pretty good. Um, but I wouldn't have guessed that New York City was the, the pick that we would have gotten wrong. I'm just shocked at their lack of scoring, and you look at the two goals that they scored basically all season, if you want to go back to the first two league games too. It was uh, Jesus Medina Rocket, fantastic finish, in a game that they ended up losing by two goals. And then this morning's game against Miami, pretty much, honestly, the Miami defense just switched off for a second and allowed Mitri to, to hit that one long ball. So I'm, I'm disappointed in their lack of offense. I'm starting to worry for New York City FC that they're going to go through yet another long, rough patch after getting a new coach. This happened with... Patrick Vieira after he took over for Jason Christ, and it happened with Dome Torrent after he took over for Vieira. So you'd like to think that for a team that returned basically all of their starters, basically most of their bench this season, that they would be playing much better than this. And I don't know if it's because new head coach Ronnie Dyla has changed a lot, or I, you know, there's also injuries that the team has been dealing with. You know, Bear didn't play this morning. Maxi Morales missed the second and third games in this tournament. So that's obviously a factor too. But something is, is clearly wrong with this team. And again, if there's a season after this tournament ends, they're going to have a lot of problems that they're going to have to figure out solutions to if they want to be competitive again. And they're on the verge of being eliminated. They are pretty much eliminated because of their goal differential and just based on how the other third place third place teams are doing so far. Pending results are probably out of the tournament. I think that's going to go down as one of the, the biggest surprises. Drew, what do you think? I imagine you probably share the same sentiments as Ivan and I, but what were your thoughts on New York City FC almost being eliminated? Yeah, I think when the new groups got arranged, I was on the same page as Ivan that I was ready to knock off both Orlando and Miami. And like we've talked about, Orlando's done really well. And NYCFC, if, like I think you said, Josh, if you had said that you've gotten NYCFC or Philadelphia, one of those teams would not have advanced, I would have thought Philadelphia would be the team not to advance. Um, But NYCFC not doing good, surprising everyone, I think. And when we did predictions, I talked about how I was very much valuing roster turnover. And like you said, there's a lot of players in this NYCFC team that are coming back, new head coach, which that might be a very big part as to why they're playing as bad as they are. I mean, injuries, obviously everyone has to deal with those, but it seems like it's hit NYCFC harder with their star players. But yeah, I'm on the same page as you guys. It's been very surprising to see how bad they've played. Um, having to get a win against a Miami side just to stay in the fight for a knockout spot, it doesn't look like they're going to get one. Uh, it's pretty surprising given this team was so good last year, first in the East. So that was, yeah, we're on the same page. That was pretty disappointing to see how they've done so far. But now they sit and wait um, and hope that they get a magical spot in the knockout round. Uh, But a team that is not on the verge of elimination, LAFC, um, one of the favorites in this tournament, and they've kind of lived up to that hype. Uh, They drew the Houston uh, Dynamo, not the Dash, Houston Dynamo 3-3 after the Dynamo had a 3-1 lead. Uh, LIC came back. And then El Trafico, uh, which got some fun media about the name, uh, they beat the Galaxy 6-2 to two, um, in one of the most fun games, I think, to watch. And I'm going to start off this one about LAFC. Uh, I'm still 
I'm still not 100% sold on this team. I'm very excited about this Portland game because, remember, Portland knocked them out of the U.S. Open Cup last year. So I'm concerned about letting up the five goals in two games before I'm really sold on this team. Now, obviously, when you're scoring six goals a game, it's pretty hard to lose. Um, and then you add BWP to this offense. I think this offense is just unfair. But I'm interested to hear your guys' take. But for me, I'm not completely sold on LAFC. Uh, I think Portland provides a really interesting matchup. And I think if they if they beat Portland, then I'll be convinced that they're the favorites again. But until this defense notches things down, maybe even gets a clean sheet against Portland, or at least holds them to just one goal, I'll be more sold on LAFC. But through these first two games, obviously 3-3 and 6-2 win, Josh, is LAFC still a favorite for you in this competition? For me, no. They're not a favorite. And for the exact reason that you're pointing out, they're just leaking tons of goals. And that is a product of their style of play. They're, They're extremely open, which means they're susceptible to the counter. And... As we've talked about multiple times on this podcast in the last few weeks, Portland, they're, they're a good countering team when they want to be. They've changed up their style a little bit so far in the tournament. We'll get to that a little bit down the road. But they could definitely put a few past LAFC, I think. Now, I'm still not totally sure what LAFC is going to do in this tournament for a few reasons. So, one, they're missing Vela, and yes, they've scored nine goals in two games, which is just insane without Vela. But uh, you got to look at the teams they've played, right? Houston, as good as they are on the attacking side of the ball, they're, they're not a good defensive team. They're just not. They don't have the talent along their back line and in defensive midfield to really hold a, a team like LAFC. And they allowed two from Portland. It could have been more than two goals, too, in that game against Portland. So Houston's defense, bad. And then the Galaxy, it was an insane game, but they quit. They just completely quit on that game. Any team could have put six past them if they had stopped playing the way they did against LAFC. So I'm not convinced that LAFC can play that well against a strong team. Portland may prove to be a strong foe. Like Drew said, they've got a a bit of a history between those two teams, which I'm excited for. It seems like both teams are, they go 100% at each other. So I think it'll be a good game depending on how hard Portland want to push, knowing that they've already advanced. So I'm definitely not sold on LAFC. Depending on who they draw in the next round, honestly, they they might get eliminated in the round of 16. So I'm definitely looking forward to how things shake out for them. Ivan, what do you think about LAFC so far? Are they still a favorite for you or something else? Yeah, it's not every day that you see a team score six goals and you question whether or not they're a favorite to win a competition, but you're absolutely right that it is a question worth considering. And the defenses that they have faced so far against the Houston Dynamo and, well, I think calling what LA Galaxy put on the field a defense might be a little bit too kind. Um, It hasn't been the toughest opposition yet. Um, And I look at, Portland Timbers back line, especially in their most recent game against the Houston Dynamo, at least two of their starters easily walked into the defenses of the other two teams LAFC have faced. Possibly the whole back line would be in contention to start. So it's going to be a huge step up for LAFC. 
it's very, you know, comforting as a LAFC fan. And there are many where I live in San Diego that without Carlos Vela, that you have someone who can score four goals still, Diego Rossi. And you have Bradley Wright Phillips who scored goals for fun at New York Red Bulls. And you will likely continue to have similar success here at LAFC. That's not the issue. I think the uh, defense still needs some work, although it's not as bad as some of the other defenses we've seen in this tournament. And the goalkeeping situation remains unclear. We had Kenneth Vermeer start the first game, and we had Pablo Cisneagas start against LA Galaxy. And I do think, even though that they eventually retook the penalty, maybe that penalty save on the initial attempt might earn Cisniega a start against Portland. Yeah, so LAFC dropping six goals against the Galaxy in El Trafico. First off, just really quick, do you guys like the name El Trafico? Because I love it personally. How do you guys feel about it? I love it. Yeah, I love it too. I think all this talk about changing it is ridiculous. It is what it is, and it's the most American name. I think you can name a, a rivalry so far in MLS. I'm sure there will be a better one down the line, but I'm all for it. The hell is real Derby isn't in concert. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, seriously, you you look at across the world, uh, most of these Derby names, if they're not just simply El Clasico or something, are just geographic, which is great to memorize the Derbys if you're a nerd like me. But El Trafico, it embodies what the city of L.A. is. L.A. is a very populated, the second most populated city in the United States. Everywhere you go in L.A. County, there's traffic. And El Trafico is a Spanish term, and there's a huge Hispanic community in California and especially in Los Angeles. So I think if you're looking for a name that screams Los Angeles, that is you're not going to do much better than that, unless you call it the Hollywood Derby, which is kind of cheesy. But... Um, yeah, it was interesting that this came up, and they've already met seven times against each other. This is not a new thing, so I think it's El Trafico is here to stay. Here to stay. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page. I went to um, went to Columbus, and I saw the Hell is Real sign, <laughs> which is like I feel like it's like MLS souvenir. So that was really cool. But yeah, glad we're on the same page. I think the name's awesome. Um, yeah, LAFC, a draw and a win, and a pretty awesome 6-2 win. Uh, so they still up in the air for favorites, um, but I think a team that uh, at least Josh, I, and Connor picked to go pretty far have struggled, uh, the Seattle Sounders. Uh, and I think the upset of the tournament, Chicago Fire upset Seattle, but Seattle is one of those teams that have advanced anyway. Um, Josh, have you been – what do you think about Seattle given – their struggles as of late is this what is this going to do for them in the knockout rounds well watching the game last night uh seattle against chicago no uh sorry seattle against vancouver in their final game of the group stage it was being broadcast by fs1 and they put up a fantastic stat and it was seattle before july 18th and seattle after july 18th over the last few years because normally what we see with the Sounders is a really rough first half of the season. July comes comes in and the team picks up for whatever reason and they just ride a hot wave all the way through the playoffs. 
And as we've seen, it's resulted in three MLS Cup appearances, and they were close to making a deep tournament run back in 2018, if not for Portland in what was a great game. But I digress. Seattle is seemingly picking up at the right time, definitely struggled against San Jose, and then shockingly lost to Chicago. And and that was a 9 a.m. game, so again, I don't know how much you can take away from a game that that's early. As we've come to see, those have been sort of the lower quality games. But they looked fantastic against Vancouver. Again, it's Vancouver. They're not going to be one of the best teams in the tournament, and they certainly made Seattle look really good. But they they looked like they were a team that we're used to seeing. Nicolo Dero is playing well. Raul Diaz, he hasn't quite been himself so far in this tournament but i think as the sounders continue to play we're going to see what we're used to from him and then jordan morris has just been a man on fire and we'll talk about him a little bit more later but i think seattle can go far if they continue to ride this momentum that they're just now starting to pick up and then as for chicago they looked great against seattle they really did i was very surprised pleasantly surprised at how well they played they really held their own the defense was pretty solid they capitalize on their chances as they got their two goals they didn't look so great against san jose so i think how they play against vancouver is going to be extremely important they have a a a chance to advance because seattle and san jose are already through but if chicago beat vancouver they're in as a third place team or seattle moves to the third spot either way chicago is going to advance if they can beat vancouver they can they can do that i mean they beat seattle so i think Chicago is a team that anyone should keep their eye on, and I think it'd be really interesting to see if they advanced into the next round. Yeah, I think that's what Group B has been so fun to watch because you've seen the highs and lows of all four teams, and there's still one game left to play in that group. San Jose Earthquakes, they got to seven points, but it was a very rocky road to get there. And while the Sounders are officially confirmed to get to the next round, it they did not look their best against either San Jose or Chicago. That being said, we got some warning signs in the Cascadia Cup clash against Vancouver Whitecaps. When I look at the three goal scorers, Jordan Morris, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and Nicolas Ladero, if all three of them are heating up, then I don't want to face Seattle Sounders in the knockout stage because that's when they're at their best. Yeah, I think following a shocking loss to Chicago, it felt like Seattle needed something to get their confidence up. And what better team to do that against than the Vancouver Whitecaps? And like Josh said, I think had Akinola not been on fire as he is, I think Jordan Morris might be my player of the tournament so far. He's been absolutely incredible. And... Yeah, uh, picking up a really good win against Vancouver, clinching a spot in the knockout round. And like you said, Ivan, it feels like those three players, um, the usual key suspects for Seattle, are heating up right now, right when knockout soccer starts to happen. So if they can keep this going, then I think the the win against Vancouver showed signs of the old Seattle Sounders to me. And what better time to do it than when the games mean everything and when you're one loss away from being sent home. So staying in Cascadia, the Portland Timbers... Uh, I don't know about you guys, but they have kind of surprised me with how good they've been. Uh, they've picked up two wins. Uh, what What did you guys think? Because, like I said, I think I picked them to go through in the knockout round, but I picked them 
as a third-place team in this group with LAFC and the Galaxy. But they have two 2-1 two wins, a 2-1 win over Houston, and a 2-1 win over the Galaxy. Uh, so for me, my take on the Timbers, um, kind of similar to LAFC, I'm going to be more convinced about this team after their last group game because even though they have two wins um, over the Galaxy and Houston, I think both those teams missed pretty solid chances against the Timbers. Um, yeah, Chicharito, I think, missed that penalty kick, and he came along with a goal later. But they're, I think they're pretty close to being, instead of being two wins, having a loss and a draw or something. So I'm still not fully sold on Portland yet. Um, they don't have the easiest opponent to convince myself uh, with, with LAFC. But I'm interested to see how they do because I think if Houston and the Galaxy finish their chances better, I don't think we can say that Portland would have two wins in this competition. Josh, what have you thought about the Timbers so far? I've been really surprised. You know, they spent most of last year struggling in the attack. They didn't look like they had many ideas. They wanted to cross the ball a lot. And even in the game against LA Galaxy, I thought that they sort of struggled with their movement and their passing in the final third. That being said, they looked really good against Houston. And I know I said earlier that Houston's defense isn't really that formidable, and I think that is a fair counter-argument. But Portland looked like they have more attacking ideas. So if they can continue to build on that, then they will be a team that can make a good run. They've got tons of really good veterans in Diego Chara and Diego Valeri. They've got fantastic young players. I mean, Jeremy Obobese, what a great goal against Houston off his left. Knuckled that ball right into the side netting. He's looked great. And, you know, that's not even counting players like Sebastian Blanco or Jorge Villafana, Villafana, sorry. And then there's also their newer players like uh, I think it's Felipe Mora and uh, Niez, Niez Goda. So... Those are some some new signings that haven't even gotten their footing yet in the squad. So Portland's potential is really high. I'm feeling pretty good about picking them to make the final. I know as we were recording that preview episode, I was feeling shaky with what my gut picked to have Portland in the final. But after their first two games, I'm feeling a little bit better about that pick. So for me, Portland's potential is really high right now and if they can even begin to capitalize on that i think they could go pretty far in the tournament yeah i think the aura i get from this portland timbers team is that they're not one of the flashiest teams and they don't have these international stars that have come from european leagues and they do still rely on a 34 year old diego valeri but other than him and chara the rest of the outfield players are either young or they're around their prime so I think this is a very well-balanced team. They could be a contender for this tournament. We will look with great interest how they do against LAFC, what could be one another key uh, group stage class that clash that I'm looking forward to. But um, I'm impressed with what we've seen so far from them. I'm getting major 2018 feelings from this Portland Timbers team. Like, I don't know how they're going to make the final, but they're going to put on their Portland Timbers hat and they're going to make it run. And yeah, like Josh said, that Obobese goal, that might be my favorite goal of the tournament just because that camera angle, you fully saw how little that ball moved. And I don't think he could have struck it any sweeter than he did. So Portland, 
we'll see again. That's a to me that's probably the biggest game left we have. Portland and LAFC. I think we're going to learn a lot about those two sides going into the knockout rounds. And yeah, Portland two wins, uh, and we will see how they do. But we're going to stick with Ivan's team. Kind of stick with Cascadia, a little to the south. The San Jose Earthquakes, uh, I think, might have been the craziest, most MLS game of the tournament. Was that four to three win over the Whitecaps? Um, Ivan, I'm kind of just going to let you take the floor here as a San Jose Earthquake supporter. But what what are what are we to think about the Earthquakes right now after these games? All right, as much as it gave me great joy to see the LA Galaxy struggle defensively. I did have to dial it back and remember that my team also conceded three against Vancouver Whitecaps. And it wasn't just the amount of goals they conceded, it was how they conceded. And that game was an emotional roller coaster for me. So here I am thinking as we're kicking off, this is Vancouver's first game, this is San Jose's second. So hopefully that goes into the category of momentum and match fitness versus, you know, Vancouver being more well-rested. But then Ali Adnan scored the opening goal, who I think might be the best left back in MLS right now. And I can't really complain too much about it. It was a solid play. And then the own goal happens. And it wasn't just an own goal. It was an own goal from San Jose's short corner kick. It was ridiculous, even by MLS standards. Like, I was really shocked. I cannot believe what happened. And fortunately, Jitson was the guy who turned it in. And, you know, he's a guy that he's rarely, if ever, going to s- score. He's like the John Obi Mikel of the San Jose Earthquakes. So for him to score an own goal, that must have been a huge blow to his confidence. And then the unlikeliest of players, I thought, even though he was a striker, Andy Rios, he scored the equalizing goal just before halftime. It was also a bit of a messy goal on the part of Vancouver Whitecaps, but I'll take it. Like, we weren't down 2-0 at halftime anymore. And just when the confidence was starting to build up, and Daniel Vega, who's usually, like, I mean, he does make the few few mistakes here and there, but you'd expect him to make some key saves every game. He makes that silly mistake, and I'm just thinking – this team can't get stop getting in its own way. This is the theme of the slump last season where it saw San Jose lose the last six games pretty much, and they tailed out and didn't even make the playoffs, which was frustrating to see that continue here. And then the subs were made, Wondolowski scores, Alani scores, and Shea Salinas dribbles past the defense and scores in the 90th plus 8th minute in stoppage time. And it felt like I was watching two different games. It almost felt like two different seasons, two different teams. It's like suddenly everything changes. Like I went from being totally depressed and frustrated to thinking, what just happened? This is a good thing. Way to go, San Jose Earthquakes. Like it was wild. It's definitely going to be even – Though I am biased as a San Jose Earthquakes fan, uh, it's the game of the tournament for me so far. And I understand Toronto versus Montreal was pretty good too, but this was wild. (laughs) Yeah, when I was watching that game, when Jordi Reyna got the ball from that short corner and he just kept running, I just assumed there was an Earthquakes defender in the way. And I just thought that the TV camera hadn't found him yet, but then he just kept running and no one was back there. It was like in the 
20th minute or something, they were down a goal. I mean, it wasn't like a 90th minute pushing for an equalizer. So I don't know why he did it. but And I agree with your take on Ali Adnan as the best left back in the league. It's good to have some positivity out of Vancouver Whitecaps, especially right now when they might be the worst team in the league and they don't have a lot of their key players like Cavallini, Fred, Freddie Montero, and uh, Ricketts there with them in this tournament. But I appreciate the Ali Adnan praise. Um, but Josh, what did you? What are you? Are you taking the San Jose Earthquake seriously right now after their group stage games? You know, I, I think. You know, I brings up a good point. Those were some very self-inflicted wounds with those goals against Vancouver. So if you really just take the two just ridiculous goals out of the equation, the the horrible back pass and the the awful own goal, that really means that San Jose is only conceded one goal and even at that it was Adnan's just ridiculous banger from a a good distance so when you take all that to an account and you look at how San Jose held Seattle scoreless and how they um, also held Chicago scoreless that's pretty good so if they can continue to not make mistakes then I think San Jose can make a, a pretty deep run and as for Vancouver I I've, I gotta feel bad for them. You know they put together a really good game. I thought up until the end, kind of just seemed like they tired out, and they're just missing so many of their players, especially starting caliber players. So they just don't have the depth to compete. And then one other thing from that game that I found very interesting, sort of funny, that was the first time a team had come down from two goals in the final twenty twenty five minutes of a game since Atlanta United did it back in twenty eighteen against the San Jose Earthquakes. So I thought it was very, very funny that San Jose did basically the same thing this time against Vancouver. So maybe in two years we'll be talking about Vancouver (laughs) doing the same thing to some team. In 2012, San Jose Earthquakes were known as the Goonies because they won and drew so many games courtesy of goals they scored late in second halves, often in stoppage time. And this felt like a Goonie performance for me and it was an MLS record I think for most shots by a team as well which was surprising but it didn't make sense and it does just show that even though Vancouver they you know blew a huge lead in an astounding fashion um I'll credit their goalkeeper Maxine Kripu who's in the mix in the Canada national team setup he made a few good saves that you're looked like we're going to be enough to keep Vancouver above water and get something from the game, but then it just all fell apart. Yeah, Vancouver definitely one of the worst teams, I think, in the league. Uh, They didn't have a whole lot of expectations following 2019, and with a bunch of really good star players not in the mix for this competition, the expectations aren't too high if they have any expectations at all but when they got that lead against san jose i was surprised but then they blew it so what are you gonna do white caps definitely have some growing pains to go through uh dos santos not there too long and then when you're missing star players not a whole lot going for you um but going from one of the worst teams 2019 to the worst team in 2019 fc cincinnati um Pulled an upset, I guess you could call it, against Atlanta United, won one to nothing. Um, we're going to hang out in this group for a little bit. Um, Josh, what have you 
thought about Elaine United? Because personally, my take, I think you can make a case that Elaine United has been the biggest disappointment of the tournament. Um, that Rebel loss, I think, was just typical Atlanta Rebel fashion. We knew, we knew they were going to press, and the Rebels did, and Atlanta didn't seem like they knew what to do with it. Um, but the Cincinnati game just felt like the the final straw that this tournament is not going to go well for Atlanta. They still have a chance to advance, but they have to beat Columbus, which we'll talk about Columbus here in a second. Um, but Josh, what have you made of Atlanta United's performances over these f- two games? I think you're absolutely right when you mention the word disappointment. I think they are easily the most disappointing team in this whole tournament when you compare to the constant expectation of this club from the fans and from now fans of the league. You expect Atlanta to compete for every single trophy available, and they have not looked up to the task so far in this tournament. And you're right, the the game against Red Bulls was typical Atlanta versus New York Red Bulls, and, and I guess you can make a case to to kind of give them a pass on that one. But the game against Cincinnati was inexcusable on multiple levels. The red card was stupid on the part of Jake Mulraney. As as inconsistent and just downright bad the refereeing was in that game, they they got those cards right towards Mulraney. I thought he whole, wholeheartedly fully deserved that red card. He was dumb to challenge the Cincinnati attacker the way he did. And then after that, Cincinnati showed that they wanted nothing to do with the ball, and Atlanta did not take advantage of that opportunity. Cincinnati looked terrified to lose, and I think if you go back and look at the expected goals from that game, Cincinnati was .6 and Atlanta was .3, so that just goes to show that no one really did anything in that game, and I felt bad for neutral fans because that was easily the worst game of this entire tournament, by far. It's not even close. There have been two other nil-nil draws, and they were infinitely more exciting than that game was. So that was extra disappointing. And now Atlanta have cornered themselves because now they have to play arguably the best team in the tournament right now, the Columbus crew. We'll talk a little bit more about them after I hear from you guys, but Atlanta are in such a deep hole right now. I don't think they're going to get out of it. I don't even think they're going to make it out of the group, even though it's still a possibility. And you're absolutely right, Drew. This has just been full-on disappointment. Yeah, so with the other nil-nil draws, Seattle versus San Jose and uh, Minnesota versus Real Salt Lake, you saw a lot more attacking intent from both all four teams involved in those games. I believe it was just one clear mischance from either team in that whole game, which shows that not a lot of Chances were being created, I believe three shots on target each, but that was it. And I think Cincinnati will probably be happy with this result because they're SC Cincinnati. They don't win a lot of games, but they do have to put in perspective and realize that this was, I think this was more of an exception to the rule. I, I hate using the word fluke very often, but. It might be a fluke. And can they do this again when Atlanta is at full strength? Probably not. But um, it's something to build off if you're FC Cincinnati. You just need anything to show that you, you may still be the worst team in MLS, but you can win a game and you have to be considered now as an opponent that you have to 
play well against to get that win. And that's exactly what Columbus did. They played their game, and they played hard, and they got a comfortable win against Cincinnati, but was earned. And I don't think Atlanta did enough to earn a result in this game, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with both you guys. Atlanta is, yeah, is the biggest disappointment of the tournament so far, I think. When you look at the side, obviously the biggest point when you look at the team is the injury of Joseph Martinez. But I think this is deeper than just losing your striker. I mean, you look at the turnover. This team has had no Julian Gressel, no Darlington Nagby. And the team just feels lost. It feels like the ball isn't moving quick enough. Uh, I don't even know the exact touches, but it feels like the center backs are getting more touches on the ball than anyone else. The ball's not moving fast. Um, it's not getting to the Pity Martinez, the Ezekiel Barcos. Um, and I thought when... Atlanta went down a man. It felt like Cincinnati kind of wanted the ball a little bit more, and that kind of played to Atlanta's favor. They almost had a penalty kick of their own, but I think someone was offside, so the penalty kick didn't happen. But then after that, it was just neither team really wanted to win, and Cincinnati was kind of gifted with that pretty incredible strike to get the win. Um, Yeah, I'm with both you guys. I think Atlanta, you expect them maybe not to win the final just because they don't have Joseph and the roster turnover this team has had in the offseason, but you expect them to be better than this. You expect them to at least beat Cincinnati and not go down nine men. So I agree with both of you that Atlanta was the pig- is the biggest disappointment of the tournament so far. Yeah, I think the kindest thing I can say about Atlanta is that there are three great MLS teams that we've seen recently without a talismanic striker, how they react, coped without their presence. We've seen LAFC without Carlos Vela, LA Galaxy without Zlatan, and now Atlanta without Joseph Martinez. I would put Atlanta at least in the middle where like LAFC has more cover and can be more competitive, and LA Galaxy is just in shambles. Atlanta, they've been losing games, but there's still signs of a decent team there. They have to find a few more holes and maybe the strikers that they have at the team right now aren't the solution but they'll continue to build and I'm sure they'll be back contending in a future season or tournament if they are to be knocked out from this stage yeah and like you said Atlanta's still not technically out yet but they have to play the Columbus crew which Josh said I'm I'm only going to change this by a word but Josh said they were arguably the best team of the tournament. I'm going to say they are the best team of the tournament so far. Uh, I think we all kind of expected Columbus to be pretty dang good, but I didn't expect them to be as good as they are. Nagby and Zellerion are absolutely incredible. Um Zardes is playing good and I think when we talk more about predictions I'll get more into how I think Columbus is going to do in this tournament. But I don't see Atlanta beating Columbus at all. Columbus beat Cincinnati for nothing. So why in the world would I think that Atlanta would get the win here? But Ivan, Columbus, what did you? What were your expectations for Columbus in this competition? Because Josh, Connor, and I, we were all kind of high on Columbus. I think Josh and I picked them to win the group. I don't remember what Connor did. But Columbus kind of had a lot of high hopes around them in this new team. Have they surprised you at how good they are so far? Yeah, I thought this was probably the toughest team out of the Eastern, I mean, toughest group out of the Eastern Conference groups because Columbus is a solid team. New York Red Bulls tend to be competitive, although they have lost some key players. And Atlanta United is Atlanta United. But um, I think we saw that Columbus crew, they had, you know, they stayed healthy and they made shrewd decisions in building this team. Uh, Lucas Zellerian probably could be the signing of the season or, you know, this quote-unquote season 
based on how influential he is for Columbus crew, making them a dangerous team to go up against right now. And also additions like Derek Etienne and having a solid goalkeeper like Eloy Room. Like there's not a weakness in sight in this team. Yeah, they've definitely been impressive so far. And like we said, they have to play Atlanta United um, to close out their group stage. And Atlanta is hanging on to a thread here. They have to beat the crew and hope for a lot of other results in order to advance to the knockout round. Josh, do you think Atlanta has any shot to beat Columbus right now? Not at all. And <laughs> Caleb Porter has already come out and said that Columbus is going to go for the win, which means I think they will win. You know, Atlanta just don't – they don't have any bite in midfield right now. And, you know, DeBoer attempted to solve that problem by using Eric Rometty and – Jeff Lorenowitz, and then it didn't even matter because Atlanta went down a man and they looked like they had no plan B in place. So I don't really know what they can do to, to get past the crew, and I have tons of thoughts on the crew. I want to save it for our, our last thing that we talk about, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and shift it over to the Toronto-Montreal game, and Toronto specifically focus on that group a little bit, but that was a crazy game. Toronto ended up winning 4-3 to over Montreal in the 4-1 Derby, Canadian Classique, whatever you want to call it. That was a great individual performance from Ayo Akinola, the 20-year-old center forward who's been playing in place of Josie Altidore. Everyone was questioning how good Toronto would be without Altidore, and Akinola has proved everyone wrong. He's got five goals so far in two games, which is just absolutely outstanding. So he's on fire. Toronto looked pretty good most of the time. They have had a few defensive lapses. They... Do look like they're going to end up winning the group, though. Probably the best team in that group. They've got a little bit of competition from uh, New England and D.C., maybe. But as of right now, definitely the best team in that group. Ivan, what do you think about Toronto's performance so far in, in Akinola? Uh I think Toronto are showing why they made it to the MLS final last year. They didn't have the best result in their opening game. They... Conceded two late goals to DC United, but for large stretches of that game, Toronto looked dangerous. And now you look at this 3-4 win over Montreal Impact, and it would have been a 4-2 win if Safir Tiger didn't score a penalty at the very end. So Toronto FC were the better team in what was a very entertaining uh, Canadian Classique there. Uh, Iowa Nolan now with five goals in two games and MLS is back. And now you see on Twitter a uh, tug of war between U.S. fans and Canada fans begging for Iowa to be capped by either team whenever they get the opportunity to. And rightfully so, I think. It is a small sample size, but he's the hottest player in the tournament right now. He will continue to get better and... I wouldn't be surprised if he scores a few more goals. Yeah, I think Akinola has been probably my player of the tournament so far. Uh, I know Greg Berhalter is definitely keeping his eye out for him because he's replacing Josie Alter, a really good his connection between himself and Alejandro Basuelo is absolutely incredible to watch. And I saw a tweet, um, I think Matt Doyle retweeted or something, that Pisuelo, uh is for Toronto, but Pity Martinez was supposed to be for Atlanta. Pisuelo has exceeded all expectations. He's playing incredible. So him and Akinola are definitely leading the charge here for Toronto. Like Josh said, the defense is kind of iffy. Um, Connor had a really good rant about Toronto's defense last week in that little center back pairing. 
and letting up three goals to Montreal. But we'll see how Toronto does. Obviously, if you're scoring four goals in a game, it's pretty hard to lose. And Akinola is on fire. So we will see how long they ride that wave. Um, but like Josh mentioned, we are talking about how the teams that have already clinched a knockout round spot, uh, we're going to talk, kind of give a little preview of how we think they're going to do in the knockout round. We're going to start with the three Eastern Conference teams with Orlando City. Ivan, how good do you think Orlando City is going to do in the knockout round? I think it depends on what result they get against the Philadelphia Union. I think they're a team that they need an easier opponent in the first round, I think, because this is still a bit of a work in progress. They still rely on Nani and, to a lesser extent, Mueller. So I think that the type of opposition that they could face if they don't win the group would be smart enough and good enough to probably knock them out earlier. I could see them getting maybe to the quarterfinals, but I think there are a few sharper teams out there that could uh, end their campaign around that point. Yeah, I think I'm on board with you. I don't see them getting past the quarterfinals. Um, I think it obviously depends a lot right, on who they draw. But I think I'm on the same page as you, quarterfinals at best. Josh, how far do you think Orlando City is going to go in the knockout round? Uh, I think it really depends on you know who they end up drawing in the next round. I, as good as they've looked, I'm interested to see how they'll play tonight. As of recording this again on Monday, kickoff is in a little over an hour between them and Philadelphia. If both teams are going to go at it and go for that, that win and attempt to win the group, I think that's going to show us a lot because Philadelphia... They have also been kind of shaky in this tournament, and they've managed to get two wins, which I think is very impressive, especially for a relatively young team. So if Philadelphia wins tonight, and that's a team that hasn't really been playing all that well, then I think that shows you that Orlando still has some work to do, despite some good early results. But, I mean, i got to be honest, of the six teams that have advanced so far, Orlando-Philadelphia, I'm not feeling too hot about their chances so I don't really know. Again, it's going to depend on who they come up against in the next round of 16, but I don't really know how deep either Orlando or Philadelphia can go. What about you, Drew? How are you feeling about these six teams, and, and especially, especially Orlando and Philadelphia in that group? Uh, yeah, like I said, Orlando, I think in quarterfinal berth at best. Again, there's kind of a lot of questions right about who they're going to play. Philadelphia, I am a little higher on than Orlando City. I think with these two teams playing, we're going to learn a lot about how they can do um, Philadelphia, I think I had them in my semifinals in my prediction bracket, so I'm going to stay with the semifinal. I'm going to stay faithful to my pick. Uh, I see, I'm going to say Philadelphia in the semifinals, but again, a lot. We'll learn a lot tonight when they play um, about, and then when the bracket gets finalized, obviously about who they're drawing in their knockout round game. So I'm saying Orlando quarterfinals and Philadelphia semifinals. Ivan, where do you think, where do you see Philadelphia doing in the knockout round? I'm a little bit higher on Philadelphia Union right now than Orlando City simply because I believe the Union are a more talented side. Uh, they got a good head coach in Curtin, uh, one of the best goalkeepers in the league, Andre Blake, and uh, another phenomenal young player in Brendan Aronson, who is slowly but surely being given more and more keys to the offense. They're playing through Aronson a lot more, and He's uh, repaying that faith by pl- playing well. I think they maybe could be contenders for the 
a title, but for now, I think I have them in that quarterfinal to semifinal range for for now. Yeah, so kind of going off what Ivan just said about Philadelphia making a run to the final, uh, talking about the Columbus crew, and I'm going to start us off with our expectations for the crew. I didn't think I would be saying this right now, but hot take. I think the Columbus crew, out of these two games, I think they're at least making a run to the final. I wouldn't be surprised to see them win the whole thing. So I'm very impressed with the Columbus crew. I know, Josh, you said you had a lot on Columbus. Um, Where do you see Columbus doing in this knockout round? So I think unequivocally so far, Columbus are the best team in the tournament. That being said, I don't think they're going to make it to the final. I think they're going to hit a road bump, and I just as a team, I don't think they have the cohesive experience needed to make a run. I think a team like Portland or Seattle or Toronto or LAFC, one of those four, has a better shot to, to get farther than a team like Columbus. That being said, uh, the thing I've been most impressed with for the crew is how balanced they've been as a team. They've scored from set pieces. They've scored on the counter. They've scored in possession. I mean, they're doing it every way possible. So that, to me, has been the most impressive part of their game. I'm interested to see how they play against Atlanta. Again, I'm not expecting much out of United. I'm expecting Columbus to have no problems with them. But depending on who they draw in the round of 16, now that they've for sure advanced, I think is going to show us how they can do. Because as, as, as important as these group games have been, this isn't the knockout part of a tournament yet and I think we're going to see a different style from teams in the next round and I don't know how that's going to affect Columbus but as of right now I think they're definitely the best team they're definitely the most balanced team and they have still yet to play left back Milton Valenzuela they've still yet to give Artur a full 180 minutes he didn't even start in the last game they started Sebi Burhalter. so this is a, a fairly deep team, again, a balanced team, and I'm interested to see how they're going to do once we get into the real knockout phase of things. Yeah, so with uh, this tournament, since there's a much smaller disparity in quality between most of these teams compared to in a World Cup where this format is often employed, it is harder to read too much into group stage results. Uh, Germany getting three points is more alarming than a team getting, you know, four or five points in this tournament and the other way around. But um, I think Columbus crew, they're going to be probably tested right away in the knockout stage because the winner of Group E faces the runner-up of Group D, which could be Real Salt Lake, Minnesota United, maybe Sporting Kansas City. And... I think that this group has shown, at least with uh, Minnesota and Real Salt Lake, uh, more maturity in defenses than some of the teams in Group E. So Columbus crew won't have the easiest path to the final, but I think right now I think I could see them getting to the semifinals at least. Yeah, so Columbus crew um, doing really good so far, and we'll see how they do in the knockout round. But another team that has clinched this spot, Ivan, you're saying Jose Earthquakes. Um, I'm not fully sold on the Earthquakes yet just because that Whitecaps game. I'm concerned that if San Jose makes those type of mistakes, some of those, like the corner kick, you obviously think that. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Hopefully they don't do that again. Um, but I'm concerned if those mistakes, those type mistakes happen and they let up three goals to a team that's not the Vancouver Whitecaps, a team with a little more talent 
that they won't be able to make that comeback. So I'm a little hesitant to say San Jose is going to go far in the knockout round. Ivan, where do you think the Earthquakes are going to finish? Yeah, I sure hope that that corner kick on goal never happens <laughs> again. Uh, but uh, I still am cautiously optimistic about the San Jose Earthquakes. There is a chance that they get snagged at the round of 16, but since they are group winners, they could face a group of like DC United's a uh, team of DC United's quality, a team that hasn't hit full stride yet in this tournament. So hopefully they get at least to the quarterfinals. But I think this is still a team that, as a collective unit, they're playing their most important matches and they're playing their best in a tournament format. That spell in the regular season last year in 2019 was great, but this is another level of importance. And I think at some point or another, a team that's more prepared and more experienced is going to knock out the San Jose Earthquakes. But regardless of whether that happens, just by winning this group, I'm happy with what I've seen so far. Yeah, so San Jose's clinched the spot and wrapping this thing up because we're about an hour 15 now. Uh, sticking with the two Cascadia teams that have clinched this spot, Seattle Sounders and Portland Timbers. Um, I think I wouldn't my I'm thinking depending obviously on how things end up I wouldn't be surprised to see these two teams make a run to the final um, which one making a run I'm not sure because both these teams have won MLS Cup and made runs to the finals uh, Josh where do you stand on the Seattle Sounders and Portland Timbers in the knockout round I picked them to meet each other in one of the semifinals and I'm still feeling pretty good about that pick I, th- I think either team could make it to, uh, to the semifinal and, and on to the final. So uh, they look poised to make a deep run. Again, we've talked about it earlier in the podcast, but Portland LAFC is going to end up being a really important game. I think it's going to show true colors for either team. And uh, Seattle, they're now wrapped up in the group stage, so it's going to be interesting to see who they draw in the round of 16. But I think, you know, again, Seattle's got that experience. We've talked a lot about in these predictions and and their experience in tournaments in the MLS Cups the last couple years and then Portland we've talked about how they could be a good tournament team and they're starting to prove us correct so both teams I could see them making a deep run honestly more so than the the previous four teams that advanced so Mm -hmm. far yeah I think if the Chicago Fire are to beat the Whitecaps and that means Seattle Sounders finish third in group B I think they'll be a trap game for whichever group winner they face uh, because of their tournament experience, because of the danger they possess in attack. The biggest question mark for the Sounders is that defense. There's jury still out, and I think they're leaning towards the likes of Roman Torres, Trad Marshall, and Kim Kihi haven't been adequately replaced yet. So, And to make a deep tournament run, you can't be conceding too many goals. So, which it's not hasn't been a problem yet for the Sounders because they've only conceded two goals in the group stage, both to the Chicago Fire. So I think the Sounders, it wouldn't shock me if they got to the semifinals or the finals or if they won, but I'm not quite ready to say that they're my pick to win the tournament at this time, even though I think they're the team I predicted would win at the start. I think I predicted a Seattle versus Atlanta final. So I have a bit more concerns for them now than I do, but I think they'll go deep. The Timbers are another one, I think, quarterfinals at least, but I'm not sure about too much further. But they 
it wouldn't surprise me as much as some other teams if they did go further. Yeah, well, I think your Atlanta prediction for the final is kind of a bust. But yeah, yeah, that was unfortunately not going to happen. <laughs> but that's what happens with predictions. It's fun to get them right, but sometimes you get them wrong, and you just gotta, you know, at least you tried. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we have more games coming up tonight and in the morning. Um, and yeah, we are at hour sixteen minutes, so we are going to wrap this thing up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, please visit MLSMultiplex.com for all really good stories. Our writers are cranking out awesome stuff from all these games. As uh, MLS and WSL is back, um, feel free to follow us on social media. Myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, Ivan at Ivan Ronales two, and Connor at CWG Somerville. Uh, check out all of our fun tweets as we rant through games and then be sure to visit the website for really awesome articles and yeah thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week thank you for listening to the mls multiplex podcast check out all of the contributors written work at mlsmultiplex.com